0: All right, so um, I guess to commit to the, the real content of this podcast we do, we should shift quickly from talking about what it's like to actually be in a relationship and how it is to mark that out and get back into the the very much inward-looking, ridiculously nerdy shit that would otherwise blind us from any sort of connection with the real world outside of ourselves. <laughs> oh,
1: so. yeah. I mean, just for – I think we 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 bucked our normal trend by we did a lot – we did most of our video game discussion pre-podcast this time, so hopefully – so I don't know that anybody ever complains that we talk too much about video games on no. this show. But I do understand that we do not technically have a video game podcast, and if we did, we would be bad at it because I don't think our video game discourse is particularly novel or interesting. So uh, we're going to break that cycle this week, and we're just going to talk about something not – final fantasy or video game related
0: oh wow you did we did not discuss this pre-show i don't know if i'm up for that not because like i'm saying that your idea is bad but because the the way that my neurons are connected i could be making a sandwich and it's gonna (laughs) slide through three different final fantasy game memories there's just like no way around it but that said, uh, yeah, we, we did kind of skip the preamble. So let's not even pretend this is natural this time. Uh, hey, you're listening to the Big Bang Theory Theory. I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is a show where we talk about a show that we don't like, which is actually the biggest complaint we get about <laughs> about the podcast. is <laughs> people consistently being like, I thought this was a fan show. Why would you watch something you don't like? And the answer hey, bros, is always, we, I don't know. We,
1: we very specifically liked last week's episode. Eat it.
0: Yeah, well, and you want to know what? Um I I feel a little bit less insane than I did for the last episode because this episode, season 7, episode 10 officially titled The Discovery Dissipation, ah, oh, we're we're back to mid. We're back to <laughs> <laughs> like inoffensive, nothing terrible happened, but also not particularly interesting or engaging. So, I don't know. A a 6 out of 10 or a or a 7 out of 13 on that old scale, but uh, Kyle, also, um, I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm gonna read the the short summary, and then we'll we'll actually start talking about it. But the the short summary on the fan wiki, I think, actually does a disservice this time because well, I'll just read it. Uh, so Sheldon gets advice from Will Wheaton while Raj doles out relationship advice to Howard adet, Oh, sorry. Oh God. Ah, uh, I just reading from the wiki. They've got the two couples with those stupid paired nicknames. So let me try that again. Dills out relationship advice to Howardette and Shamey. Ugh, I never want to say those things again. Um, And that Sheldon is interviewed on national public radio while Leonard disproves Sheldon's work. And again, that's like bare minimum. So if I had to reframe that in about just as many words, uh, Sheldon, in a rare follow-up part two episode that is completely out of time from, from it's part one.
1: Yeah. That's weird. We'll we'll double back to that, but yes, let's put a pin in that to get back to you.
0: Yeah. Whichever previous episode it was, Sheldon made uh, a discovery in which case uh, through his, his, his physics, his theoretical physics genius was able to identify a new heavy element a, a monumental change to the field. Uh, but then by the end of the episode, it's it's revealed that even though he did, in fact, discover it, it's only because his math was wrong. It was, like, really, really wrong. And so his incredible discovery was also a shameful blunder. And so the part two today is um the, the fallout from that blunder where uh, the episode basically starts with him being frustrated about all the attention that he's getting for getting something wrong in spite of it being a huge discovery. And then Leonard uh, at some point, while also conducting tests to kind of verify uh, it was, it was some Chinese team had, had verified Shelton's results before. And so Leonard is trying to replicate those uh, and then he can't do it. And he's like, Oh no, the Chinese got it wrong. They, they must've faked their results somehow and so, no, your your discovery is is blown up, and it 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 wasn't even real. It wasn't even just like a, a happy mistake. No, it just it was this wrong all out. And then Sheldon does do a one eighty to be like, well, I don't want no attention. I don't want my discovery to be completely wiped from the books either. Like, there's no way to win here, and that is your a plot. And uh, well, we'll get around to it, but eventually he finds a way to come to terms with that. I think, the most unconvincing pep talk from Will Wheaton that could possibly be put on on media. And then the B-plot, yeah, is uh, Raj stays with um, Howard and uh, Bernadette, and he is such a thoughtful, I can't think of the right word, attentive uh, house guest that he makes both of them feel ashamed for not being uh, more attentive to each other in their marriage, and they they eventually kick him out because they're they're insecure about their own problems, and that's most of it. Amy uh, is in the episode, and so is Penny. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're just kind of around, but yeah. So with that, I don't know, Kyle. I might I might put a little burden on you here because. I would like to do what I normally do, and it's like figure out things that I thought were highlights to focus on, but aside from my distaste for Will Wheaton and the second he steps in the frame, I just go son of a bitch <laughs> uh, this one just i uh, yeah, it's completely milk toast about uh, it's the the which, high of last week's episode is has faded,
1: which is funny because actually this episode revolves around uh or I'm sorry, not this episode, but his appearance in this episode revolves around him going like, "Look, I know people hate me. You think I don't know what it's like to have people uh, just tell me to my face that they don't think I do a good job? And you know what? I've just made my peace with that.
0: Well, yeah, Just so- being
1: remembered for something I am not proud of, and you know, whatever." And it's like the episode even kicks him a little bit because he's like, "Yeah, I was this, the annoying kid on this TV show twenty years ago, but now I ha- I tweet a lot and I have my own uh, my own uh, board game web series." And Amy is like, "We're we're trying to make him feel better, right?"
0: Well, yeah, that's exactly what bugged me in in like, and not because of the way Amy says it. I, I think when I say it's unconvincing is yeah, exactly what you just said is God, I. I really – I dislike him so much. It's just irrational. But...
1: At least you admit – because you want to – we all know I hate that. have you ever – people throw this in my face. I always want to strangle them because they're like, if you dislike someone, that just means you're secretly envious of their success. So I'm, I have to deal with well, that shit all the time. So. Yeah,
0: well, that's true. I am envious that someone that could be so uncharismatic nonetheless has regular guest spots on a gigantic – national television show where his purpose in this episode at least is just to tell the audience how he had to overcome the shame of his previous fame it's oh like you know i I just dislike him irrationally in the first place i have to acknowledge that but yeah the way he talks and and so um we you and i kyle this is already very obvious to us but i think we glanced over it as will wheat and if anyone doesn't already know played wesley crusher on star trek the next generation And I didn't watch a lot of Star Trek. I don't know just how negative the reception for him was. But yeah, he was an annoying little kid. He was an annoying little snot-nosed kid, no matter how positively you try to spin it. And so, yeah, while Sheldon is hiding in his room playing with his train set because he can't figure out whether he would rather be known as an idiot or not known at all, which I think is actually, if if this were a different show, it would be a really interesting thing to have to deal with. Yeah, Amy has Will Wheaton come in, and Will Wheaton's like... I, too, was once known for something that I really didn't like. And already I'm like... For real? Like, you're upset that you were on Star Trek as a child actor? And that, like, the rest of your life has been taken care of because of... Like, you're not even, as far as I can tell, one of those sad people... That has to go to every single convention they can and sign autographs for a living. Like, he does talk about how he has these other media ventures... But I do think Amy rightly is like, I don't know if those are really indicative of success. (laughs) Like, I don't know if this is what's going to make Sheldon feel better. And then in a leap that I just don't, I can't follow. It does make Sheldon feel better. And I'm like, hold on. Like, like, Amy was like, I don't think you're doing a good job. And then when Sheldon, not Sheldon, when um Wesley sits down, not Wesley, <laughs> uh, when Will Wheaton <laughs> sits down <laughs> to play trains with Sheldon, he's like, can I blow the whistle? And Sheldon's like, you got to get out of here. And so nobody is happy with him. But then by the next scene, they're like, oh, he was right about everything and I feel better now. And I just yeah
1: i feel like you are i don't want to uh because it doesn't really but in terms of weird things about this episode i think probably the weirdest is actually uh, you the way you've described the episode is the plot as would make sense in a normal structure (laughs) okay
0: please correct this
1: (laughs) which is the way you described it is sheldon feels shitty because he's famous for a mistake and then it Turns out that it wasn't even an actual like real discovery, and then he he misses his former fame, and then Will Wheaton gives him a pep talk, and he comes to peace with it. That's not actually what happens. What happens is Sheldon f- is feeling shitty about his success. Then Will Wheaton comes in and gives him the pep talk, and he feels better. Then it turns out that uh, Leonard has invalidated his experiment, and so and I don't think there's actually any resolution to that. At the end of the episode, he just still feels bad about it.
0: Well, no, I think you're right. And also, you just reminded me of another little thing um, that I thought was strange and doesn't really get focused on either, which is when Leonard is able to disprove Sheldon's work and he presents that to Sheldon, he comes to Sheldon like he just did him a great favor. He's like, you're never going to believe it, buddy. You were right all along. You did fuck up. And... Even for Leonard, I'm like, you know that that's not fun, right? Like that's like, yeah, you know what? You helped your friend get through this confusing this confusing science period, and that takes a very specific kind of friend to help with. But like, you're also confirming that he failed. Can you have a little bit of grace about well, it's this?
1: Well, that? Was because the episode does start with a what has apparently become show, and again. I don't even know, like, uh, the best question is why does this episode have to exist at all? Um, I mean, why does any episode, but, like, of all the, like, are we really in the, I, I, it sort of feels like, I guess, like, the Big Bang Theory is entering its lore phase, which I guess every show uh, enters eventually, where it starts to become, like, overwhelmed by the, like, the burden of past events and gags. It's just, like,
0: yeah, um, yeah. It's just
1: I I didn't expect it this to be the sort of stuff that would catch up with it. Um, for another example, like like uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, which is a much better show, had some re- had a really g- great early recurring gag, which was every episode they would do like a Halloween themed uh, competition episode, and the first three of those are great. And then after seven seasons, by the end, you're like, oh, they used up all of the good heist jokes a long time ago they're just committed they are contractually obligated to do one of these a season and man are they not selling it anymore
0: you remind me that's how exactly how i felt about not bob's burgers as a show overall but specifically about their musical episodes because like the first couple of those felt so inspired and got such a strong reception that I, I, you know, I have no idea what the writers are actually thinking, but I, I think they were like, oh, no, people love this. We have to make more of it. But then yeah. as they churn out more, they're not putting that same effort in. And also, you know, I think no matter how good they are, it's going to be diminishing returns anyway. And so yeah,
1: you have to respond to incentives, right? Like it's really hard to do something that everybody that everybody agrees is great, and not very few shows resist that inertia. Um, but now that's sort of missing because no one thought that the episode where Sheldon accidentally discovered a helly, heavy element was I like something that anyone ever cared or needed a follow up no, no. to. So that's. But anyway, I just to bring it back around. Uh, the episode does start with him being in, uh, interviewed by someone. It could be my imagination, but. I assume his name is Ira Plato because he's supposed to be like inspired by Ira glass, but I don't know that, but he's being interviewed by a radio host and just taking great affront to both the fact that he like, and I kind of get, imagine you're an egotistical person who's, who's very, uh, well, you don't have to imagine that, but imagine, Whoa! That you're also, imagine that you're, uh, uh, that, um, the thing that you're most famous for in the world is accidentally discovering something through a major math fuck-up. Like, imagine, like... I mean, actually, the way they describe it in the episode, imagine, like, reading a treasure map wrong and digging in a random spot and finding a chest full of gold anyway. And Sheldon is incensed by this metaphor. But that that actually seems consistent with his character. Um, so it makes sense to me that I also... It's not, like, an incredibly hysterical line, but I do like the the... The joke. He's like, yes, yes, an ast- It's like an astrophysicist with a Nobel Prize in chemistry. Everybody laugh at the circus freak. Uh, that was good because I do think that's good characterization. So that I think is why Leonard thinks he's doing him a favor. But uh, yeah, yes, I guess um, it doesn't work. So I, I don't. And again, I don't know why if they were going to put Will Wheaton in this episode, why they used him so early in the episode. I mean, it was obviously, like, first off, because, again, of how the actual plot of the episode plays out, you could take him out of this episode and it would change nothing. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all to learn that, like, Will Wheaton's part of the episode was filmed, like, a week after the rest of the episode had been filmed and long after the script had been written. And they just, like, were like, oh, wait, Will Wheaton's available. Let's write a random bit for him to come do in this episode. We'll just put it in here. But, um yeah doesn't does not further the plot in any meaningful way at all
0: so this is just further harping on my own irrationality. I think what i don 't like about him is that he has a he a, a presence that just suggests he is aggrieved, and you know in this particular episode, you know that is part of his inspiring speech is I once was so annoyed by my own my own life that I had to recognize that there are other different aspects of it that aren't as bad. But, um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let it go. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to let it go inside. I'm going to let it well, go for the you, purpose of this. Episode. Oh, this is,
1: you want to get meta. I'll, I'll get meta with you, All right. which is, uh, this would be insane. And this is more conspiracy theory than something that I hope to God could actually be true. But when woe Wheaton is talking about, can you imagine how annoying it is to have everyone you meet associate with you with this smarmy, unlikable, super smart, but graceless freak? I was like, is this episode actually written by Jim Parsons?
0: Yeah, that's. I that would be fun if they let him have his one and... His episode was complaining about, oh, my God, I can't believe how successful this show has been and my character and how hard my life is.
1: Like, ah, I'm just serious. I'm like the character of they actually even get they now that I think about it, they lampshade it in the episode because and they've probably probably they've talked like Sheldon has made this point before. But he's like, I don't get why everybody hated you. He's like. He was like, you know, you were a 14-year-old boy 14-year-old boy genius with an eidetic memory. It's like what's not to relate to. It's like Sheldon you're so you're basically admitting that like the character of Wesley Crusher and the character of Sheldon are basically uh incredible like adjacent to each other in terms of like personality and reception so yeah it wouldn't be that surprising if if maybe this is all secretly a cry for help of sheldon being like or jim parsons being like it's actually been really hard to have people be like hey sheldon say bazinga you freak and him just having to be like well i guess this is my lot in life
0: yeah i'm a bazinga boy remember them um
1: don't invoke them. I don't want to get uh, threatened yeah, on Twitter I, again.
0: I can't say their name two more times or they'll, they'll become real. Well, yeah, I think...
1: I want to make it... They didn't threaten us that hard. They, it was joking threatening. It wasn't like they didn't say they. Well, it was we weird Australian... We got cyber
0: se- bullied. We got
1: trolls. We, it was weird Australian sense of humor, I think, that doesn't translate well uh, to the U.S. So it's fine. Well, anyway, I can't remember
0: where I uh, was gonna go next but
1: the other side of this as long as we're talking about lore, the other side of this episode is also weird because we've had we've gone like four seasons now with like Raj is like a weirdo who either can't talk to women or when he does talk to women, he's awful to them and, and they the whole completely
0: point... abandon the alcohol thing that is just done forever. that was too well, that's much. fine.
1: That's fine. It was getting a little old. But the joke in this episode is, no, Raj is actually so sensitive and attentive to other people's emotional needs that it is hard uh, for couples to like be around him because he is just so much more aware of like what you should be doing for your partner than they could be.
0: Uh, yeah, well, and also, I, I didn't... And maybe I'm forgetting details here, but I was a little not like actually irritated but it was another one of those like unconvincing um pep talk plot things cuz yeah raj shows up and his whole thing here is just being attentive and caring that's it he and he's not really going overboard either you know he's not like lavishing either of them with such delights that they're uncomfortable it's he's asking them how their day is <laughs> that's that's the kind of stuff he's doing and um the, the the thing that kind of bugged me was when it comes to Wallowitz's contributions to the relationship, or lack thereof, it seems pretty clear. Like, he doesn't like doing anything he doesn't have to do. He doesn't like listening to Bernadette talk about her life or her interests or anything. You know, he sits around and plays video games and he's like, there's a short blonde woman that will live with me that's not my mom. And that's my part of the relationship. <laughs> and then um, when it gets to... Bernadette's own insecurities what was it like she doesn't listen to him enough or something or i don't know it was it was one of those She's things not where,
1: encouraging or supportive enough of him
0: yeah and it's like come on like again i don't i'm not invested enough in this relationship to have genuine feelings about any sort of imbalance and culpability here but it was another one of those things where it's like no walowitz fucked up we can just we can acknowledge that maybe walowitz is not a great husband and, and needs to learn something from this. And instead, yeah, they, they both cast aside Raj and they're like, we're happy winging it. We're happy half-assing it. We don't want to have to care more about each other. Get out of here!
1: Which is maybe the most, again, as far as middle America goes, that prob- I'm sure that joke sold really well with a lot of the core demographic of this TV show.
0: Yeah, well, you know what, no, I,
1: I think... It's like paying attention to your partner's emotional needs and trying to make them feel valued and listened to at all times. (sighs) Have these people even heard of how marriage works?
0: Right. Well, and also like the example that they give right at the beginning of the episode about Wallowitz's own thoughtlessness is, you know, Bernadette gets home one day and – He's just like, oh, hey, Raj is going to stay over for a night. But you remember how I said it was going to be one night? And she's like, yeah, well, it's actually a week. And she's like, why would you think I'd ever agree to that? And he's like, well, I didn't think you would, which is why I didn't tell you. (laughs) I'm a fun guy. Oh, and he's bringing his dog and we just have to deal with it. Um, And then he shows up later that night or the next day, whenever it is. And Bernadette comes home from work and... uh, Wallowitz is like, oh, great, you're here. It's the two of us. What are you making us for dinner? And it's like, dude.
1: Yeah, that's a fucked up. You're right. You're absolutely. It's not. Yeah, that one made me once, too, because it's like it's a very like it's in many ways. It is a classic sitcom joke, right? Like insensitive uh, jerk ass guy who doesn't know how to be a husband. But it is just like but pretty coming from Wallowitz, who and it doesn't. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Uh, bad boyfriends in in sitcoms obvi- gets under my skin. Uh, well, and Waldoitz
0: is particularly a meritless boyfriend.
1: <laughs> well, but he, even that's because cons- he wrote that he did that whole big. He wrote her like the whole song and the thing in that other episode. So I thought we were supposed to like interpret it as their relationship has grown, but if, you know, not if it's more funny for him to be a jerk. I guess, and it's just like. It's just, like, so now we've gone from he's, like, a borderline rapist sex pest to uh, he's a demeaning, misogynistic husband. Okay, great.
0: Yeah, like, he's no longer committing crimes. He's just a bad partner. But, you know, he still has... Oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was just saying, speaking of people, like, if I were that actor, I would not want to be associated with that character in real life
0: yeah yeah I feel like that's one of those ones you can't live down, and that's like I can't remember if we talked about this before or not. I'm sure we've it's come up, but you know how like for the whole Seinfeld cast that um only Julia Louis dreyfus was able to go on and have like consistent success in either t v or movies uh and it sounds like I don't know what her secret was, but like I hear specifically for like um George, uh, Jason Alexander, that everything he did after that, people were like, we love George. We want you to be George. And he's like, I'm a classically trained actor. Yeah, who is greatest? George. Give us your George. And that that was just the rest of his life. And well, not, you know, he's still alive. (laughs) Like that, that, that is his constant struggle is to like, please, anything but George. I'm glad you love my character in that show. That was 30 years ago. Anything else you want me to do, I'll do it.
1: I don't know. Are you saying you feel bad for an actor who got too over-identified with a particular role and, and that's his chief complaint his life is that he was too successful playing a particular part?
0: Well, I don't feel bad for him in the same way I would feel bad for someone dying on the street. But, you know, it's just like, if, if I were to hear that Jason Alexander is some sort of bastard or something, you know, I, I'd write it all off. But assuming that he's just like a regular decent guy who is ironically, a victim of his own success. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer to, like get your dream and then not be able to live it down what are are you not taking will wheaton's plight seriously all of a sudden no that's
1: what i was saying i was like what's the difference that's why i was asking i was like why is so much empathy for jason alexander so
0: much hatred for will wheaton oh because will wheaton sucks that's the difference <laughs> if jason alexander showed up in sheldon's bedroom and was like hey let me tell you a couple things about what it's like to be a real big that, success and then know, the voice might... of gargoyle in a disney movie <laughs>
1: he's He's a funnier guy, it might, it's let's let me do my let let me think it's like Sheldon, I don't know what to tell you Sheldon it's you're too funny, yeah, I was too funny, I was so funny, and then you just repeat it right that's his thing is he just repeats this thing. you were too funny, I was too funny
0: yeah i I know what it's like, Sheldon, to get undue credit for your own greatness, of course, I've been there but. That's just part of the life of being great. Am I right?
1: Eh. It's
0: like, I was so good being Larry David that Larry David
1: isn't as good a Larry David as I am.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and apparently people reacted to my character. And, you know, I can't tell how much of a joke it is. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident it is 100% just joke and that there's no sincerity or hurt to it. But there is an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where they're... they're The whole season is based around trying to do a Seinfeld reunion. There's an episode where everyone is like, Oh yeah, George, what a great character. Such an obnoxious, narcissistic idiot. Oh wow, how did you come up with someone like that, David? And over and over he's like, That was me. And that character was based on me. Why does everyone keep talking about what an asshole this character is? (sighs) But yeah, I don't know. You're just too good, David. Sorry. I don't know why I'm saying David, not Larry or Larry David, but whatever. (sighs) Ah. <sighs> All right. Well, I don't know, like, yeah, I mean, we can keep trying to talk about this one, but like is there even anything else to talk about? Like it's like the the lengthy summary only appears to be about 1500 words, so even the fans couldn't froth at the mouth. Oh, wait, you know what? Costume notes. Oh, Jesus Christ. This okay. is so much less interesting that i i don't know who's there's got to be some more quality put into these um costume notes on the fan wiki because the only one for this episode is sheldon wears a red distressed flash logo shirt parentheses in his room so we are no longer seeing every one of uh, penny's outfits and where to buy them we just know that sheldon at a part of in one part of the episode is wearing a flash t-shirt can you fucking believe it Oh, and then also, so there was one joke that maybe it was successful in that I fell victim to the bait-and-switch, but also I was a little irritated that it tried to play it this way, which is near the end of the episode, after all the the drama has essentially concluded, Kripke comes in, the classic Kripke. Oh, yes.
1: I forgot. That was the actual end of the episode, which is, again... This one felt like it ended without a resolution because it basically ends up with them being shit on by Kripke.
0: Yeah, and so Kripke comes in, and if doesn't remember, Kripke has a speech impediment. You know, it's like the classic kind of cartoon thing of all of his R's or W's. Um, And so he's making fun of Sheldon. Leonard's like, hey, lay off. And Kripke's like, I can't help it. You're you're a superhero. Your name is the Retractor. Waka, waka, waka. And then um, Sheldon says something along the lines of like, oh, I'm sawy. I couldn't hear you. And Kripke gets real serious for a few moments. He's like, was that a joke about my speech impediment? That's something I can't control, okay? And that's hurtful. And I just can't believe you do something like that. And then Sheldon takes a moment and he's like, all right, I'm sorry, I take it back. And Kripke's like, I knew you would because you're the retractor, baby. <coughs> and so that. The setup and payoff of Kripke's joke I I think is good as far as a guy telling a joke goes. But that the show for half a moment is like, oh man, we have to feel bad about Kripke's disability all of a sudden. That's where I was like, get fucked. That's the... His entire character is based around the fact that he has a funny speech impediment. You've had no sympathy for that for seven years. And now after that... You want me to feel bad about him because one character deigns to acknowledge it? Fuck you, TV show.
1: Well, I never want to defend the writing on the Big Bang Theory, but I actually, I just took that as slightly different, which I saw. I knew that's where it had to be headed the whole time because I was like, you think this guy in his mid-30s has never had someone do... Do you think he's not immediately ready with that comeback? Like, there's nothing presumably... I mean, I could be wrong about this. Well, but... that
0: comeback that's specific to Sheldon's failure of the well, retraction. Just,
1: <laughs> I just mean that that's not something he, you can, like, a normal person can make him feel self-conscious about.
0: Yeah, well, no, and again, it's its not that, I like, the concern about whether he's genuinely hurt or whether it would be realistic in that situation, but just that, yeah, every single episode he's in, the entire joke is that... You know, and I've complained about yeah, it before. He doesn't have it, they, any character traits; he just has a, f- a funny voice.
1: Well, sometimes he's horny, but I he's mean, occasionally horny. Most of them are horny. Uh, yeah, and you're right. It's like they deliberately give him a bunch of words that start with R just to ma- make him sound more silly. So,
0: well, it's it's like if you had if one of the characters if their primary trait was having like random terrible violent diarrhea, so that if they just had to like inexplicably leave random situations and have some sort of veil of mystery around it and that was the whole joke it's like oh that guy keeps disappearing is he a superhero or does he have to keep shitting himself and then after seven years of jokes about that one of the characters says hey man you seem to shit a lot and he goes hey hey where did that come from why are we talking about this all of a sudden it's like oh yeah well I guess we should feel bad about your only purpose in the show. Sometime, sometimes
1: <laughs> it can be – I mean the – I assume you're – well, two things. First off, you're right. If they really wanted to – it's not like um, they've ever made the slightest effort to humanize Kripke because presumably like I, – I, I'm think, overthinking this, I know, but like – It's actually pretty weird for adults to have uncorrected speech impediments unless that speech impediment is the result of some other underlying condition, meaning if it's just uh, that they had a speech impediment from childhood, usually that gets fixed through speech therapy, which he can obviously afford unless... Um, You know, sometimes people have speech impediments because it's linked to like a hearing issue or some some way their mouth is some way their mouth is formed underlying disability there. So if he's an adult and he has this uncorrected issue uh, that he says he can't control, then presumably he really means that there's something else going on there that can't be fixed through normal means of correcting speech. And so it's like yeah let's explore that let's let's delve into his character and talk about like are there certain notes that he can't hear is are there other things like does he have some weird genetic abnormality like is he going to die by the age of 50 and that's why he's such a dick uh but no they're not going to do any of that stuff so if they wanted to make the character more interesting and fleshed out they could do they could explore any of those things but um I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, some it can be funny when a show like makes fun of its viewers for a joke that it is guilty of. At least I, how do you feel famously about the South Park uh, token Tolkien
0: thing? I don't know a lot about that one. I so I know about the character Token. Um, I'm not as sure. I'm not as familiar with this token token thing.
1: Okay, well then I'm I'm glad to get to be the one to tell you this. So there was an episode of, I I can't remember when, but it it wasn't, it wasn't like last season, but it, it's fairly recent in the last couple of seasons. Uh, they all have dinner at uh, at the Token family household, and finally the well, dad and, is like. And just to you know, clarify,
0: because again we know what we're talking about. Token in the show is a black character, and he's named Token because he's the yeah. only black yet. There we go.
1: Right, and so. The dad is like, you know, we've never been that close, but we're obviously, I feel like we're having dinner together in private. And I've just always wondered, why would you name your son Tolkien? And the dad goes, oh, that's a great question. You know, we named him after my, our favorite fantasy author. And the dad's like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, you know, Gerald Tolkien, always been our favorite. And they're like, J.R., so... Gerald Tolkien. It's like, yeah, Tolkien. And so the joke in the episode is that A, his name has always been Tolkien and particularly, the particularly good part of that joke is everyone else, including... Uh, everyone but Stan and Stan's dad, including like Cartman, who was generally the most ins- uh, was always supposedly calling him Tolkien. Meaning, no one else in universe thought his name was Tolkien except for two characters, and they have to grapple with that for the rest of the episode. It's pretty funny watching them go, "Oh no! Oh shit! Oh god! Oh no!" And then you know, and since then it's been a running joke. Uh, in like the meta for the show that Trey Parker and Matt Stone went back and they changed all of the subtitling for all of the earlier episodes so that his name, whenever it appears, always appears in the subtitles and everything as Tolkien. So they are deliberately gaslighting
0: everyone. So I, I, the first time I've heard about this joke and I'm going to say, I think that's a great joke, but I think that's different too, because that you talk about making fun of the viewers and they are, but also They are attributing that to a couple of characters who, even in the world of South Park, apparently are kind of assholes that have not been hearing what everyone else in the world is now being gaslit into believing everyone was hearing the rest of the time. That's a good joke. Like, the problem I have with the Big Bang Theory example is, like, again, I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's personal to me to use another diarrhea example and to strip (laughs) it down even more. Is it's like if you had a character named Diarrhea Joe, and after ten years someone makes one crack about his diarrhea, and that's the one time he gets upset. Like I feel like that would be bizarre. If on yes, the I other get, hand, I get,
1: I get what you're saying. It's like it's like you know, it's like you know, character whose only defining trait in the show is that you're an alcoholic. You sure do seem to be pretty drunk all the time. How could you say that to me?
0: Yeah. Now, if if on the other hand it were a character's misapprehension and his name was actually it was short for Diorama Joe and all the jokes that he's been making about him shitting himself for years and years were were incorrect and that everyone around him is like what does he have against Diorama Joe that he keeps making these weird shit jokes uh, like did did he not like one of his dioramas I don't know something like that but anywho anything else about this thing
1: no, I was ready to move on a while ago.
0: but Yeah, me too. I... Well, the Kripke thing, I couldn't let it go. But... All right, let's talk about uh, the thing that we always would rather talk about from the get-go, uh, the, the sweet dessert after we've eaten our, our rotten old meat, um, our nerdy recommendations for the week. Um, and I've got one loaded this week, but Kyle, do you want to go first or shall I?
1: Sure, I'll go ahead and go. Um, so I always... I always do this. I fall in love with the TV show in like the first two episodes and then for all I know it's the rest of the season is terrible. But at least the first couple of episodes of uh of My uh, Adventures with Superman are really good and I like it a lot. So, so I th- didn't
0: know that existed until the other day I saw it had a rating on Rotten Tomatoes and I was like, I guess there's a new Superman show. There's so. a new
1: Superman animated series which is I guess like You know, I'm a huge Superman fanboy, surprising no one. Uh, I think he's classic and strangely underrated for having been as consistently popular as he's been for the last, uh, you know, hundred years. But uh, long story short is Superman's awesome and he has had many successful... Uh, incarnations hasn 't had an animated show in a while that was centered around him they 've made a new one and and all it really is is it 's just like you know it 's basically Superman for a gen Z audience which means it's it 's very uh multicultural and the animation is is much more deliberately anime uh inspired and it looks beautiful and the acting is funny and heartfelt uh You know, and it's it's essentially like as as the title would suggest. It is, of course, it starts at the very beginning. It's basically the setup is uh, Clark Kent has just moved to Metropolis and gotten an internship at the Daily Planet with fellow interns Jimmy Olsen, who is also his roommate, and Lois Lane, who is. Uh, in most versions, when he comes to work at the Daily Planet, she's been there for a while. But this is one of the now they're co-equals trying to. Uh, I mean, I guess she's still been there longer than him in the show. But basically, they're roughly of equal stature, and they're young, up-and-coming, strappy twenty-year-olds trying to, you know, work their way up in a dying journalism industry. Uh, but just and just having like quirky romantic tension because they they are immediately into each other but clark is an awkward himbo who's still trying to figure out how his powers work and lois lane is like plucky and and super obsessed with like you know being the best reporter in the universe at the same time that she's kind of into him and it's just like cute and charming and uh and uh a couple of things that I really like it are about it are again, the animation is fantastic. Uh, uh, when Superman like moves at super speed, it is like Dragon Ball Z. It is very good. But then with the first time he, he, uh, goes down into the Kryptonian like tunnels and is transformed into Superman. It's literally a magical girl transmission. So <laughs> the scene where Clark gets his Superman costume is ripped straight out of Sailor Moon, which is just great. Um, and so all of that is fun and then it it contains in the at least in the first couple of episodes it seems heavily uh it has a lot of winks and nods to like the silver age superman comics which many people consider to be like the greatest uh like when superman was like at his peak but is also the era that like modern um superman stories are heavily embarrassed by because it was all like you know talking monkeys and you know robots and uh you know weird sciencey mayhem stuff but this is like judging by at least how the lore has been set up there are lots of clever shout outs to like classic silver age superman storylines uh, and just a big fun cast in the way clark slash superman is drawn he is just like he is impo- like i've talked with fe- several female friends and they all look at him and they'll be like oh i get it now it's Mm. like he's it's like he's hot but he's also vulnerable and kind of goofy and this is totally like the tall midwestern boy i would want to bring home to my family forever and let no one else have and he was obviously created just for me um so it's been fun i recommend it if you like superman at all or are curious about superman at all this would be a good place to start
0: and uh i think i missed this part where actually even is that available
1: Oh, good question. Uh, I've been watching it on Max, which is the former HBO Max, but I think it's also on um, I think it's on Adult Swim.
0: Okay, cool.
1: And so knowing my luck, because the current CEO of uh, Warner Brothers is famously the biggest asshole douchebag uh, venture capitalist scum to run an entertainment business in like the last 100 years, you know, the show will get memory hold pretty quickly. It'll it'll get the back treatment and end up being written off for tax purposes because whatever. But, uh, let's hope not.
0: Yeah. Well, that's like, you know, I don't think this was a particularly noteworthy or successful movie, but I was just reading something the other day about how, uh, there's a movie that was released on Disney plus some sort of space exploration. Yes. Thing.
1: Crater. That's why I'm talk- talking. Yeah. This is, it's a thing that just keeps happening is, uh, like Disney and Warner Brothers are both doing it now, which is they're writing off TV shows or, or writing off films. Even like Crater came out like six weeks ago or something like that, and it's already like been taken down from streaming so that basically they can deduct the cost of the whole production as a tax write-off.
0: Yeah, which is uh, an excellent reason for me to say, hey, I don't know about Kyle. But I'm gonna say I am um, officially pro piracy. Go ahead and steal media because it's it'll just get destroyed anyway. No, there are many people that create it and ascribe no inherent value to it. Steal it, make it yeah. tre- make it treasure.
1: <laughs> if you can't get it on Blu-ray, you should pirate it because apparently that's the only way you're going to have like media that you can guarantee someone isn't going to randomly take away in a bit of fit of corporate peak.
0: Yeah, I have a friend who is like, oh, I own all these movies, so I'll never lose them. Like. You have physical copies of them, I'm like no, I own them on streaming, and I'm like, oh, brother, like you don't own anything. <laughs> but have fun. Um, well, anyway, so uh, I will recommend my thing, and I can be pretty short because I don't want to reveal too much. But so you had mentioned earlier about you know seeing the first couple episodes of something and recommending it, and being not not knowing whether it's going to take like a sharp downward turn, and um, I've had the issue myself. I think particularly with. Any season of American Horror Story I've watched, I'm always like, all right, this is pulling me in. And then it doesn't take long before it's like, this is crumbling underneath its own weight, because I don't think these writers know how to sustain a season worth of television. But um, I just finished watching watching the fourth and final season of Barry. And I can say that that show uh, does not crumble under its own weight. And that while it is it is bittersweet that it is ending after four seasons, I uh, found the ending completely satisfying and uh, I'm happy it ended the way it did before it could become overburdened. And just to I'm sure most people already know what Barry is, and I may have even recommended it like way, way earlier in the podcast, but um, it is another HBO slash Max show. And the basic premise, at least at the beginning of the series, is that uh, Bill Hader plays Barry Berkman, who is himself a former Marine who now works as a hitman. And uh, his handler is played by Stephen Root, uh, aka uh, Fuchs is what he's called in the show. And he's an old family friend that basically uh, just... Contracts hits and points Barry in the direction and says go kill and that that is their life they're going around they're professional hitman making money uh, but that Barry himself finds that he is growing uh, dissatisfied and unfulfilled with the hitman lifestyle that in between jobs he feels empty and doesn't know what to do with himself oh no. And then uh, episode one basically starts with him taking a job in Los Angeles and going to uh, take out a hit on an actor. And in an attempt of subterfuge, he enters the acting class to kind of stake out the guy. Uh, But then ends up getting called on stage and having to do a monologue or something. And afterwards was like, that was the most thrilling experience of my life. Maybe I'm supposed to be an actor. And so the show... The whole comedy premise of it is, hey, what happens when a ruthless hitman gets the acting bug? What happens? He wants wants to make it in L.A. You know, a guy in his late 30s who's a professional murderer and is like, you know, I think I got a chance in commercials. And that's that's the whole premise. And um, now that it's over and the show has not betrayed that premise, I I feel safe in saying that uh, the thing that I really like about Barry is that... Um, it's, it's a dark show and it is a comedy show, but it's not cute ever about, like, the character's underlying motivations. Like, in, in a lesser show, the fact that Barry is a hitman, like, while it is played for laughs, would be played exclusively for laughs without any real world consequences to have to address. But in Barry, like, the whole, like... Barry's whole life is trying to figure out how to cleanly kind of deal with or wrap up the natural consequences of being a hitman. So he can focus on acting. And finding often that no matter how hard he tries, he can't get away from it. And, you know, that itself is like a pretty, I don't know, tried plot element, I guess, that, you know, oh, I can't just can't get away from the job. But I think this is a little more than that, and it's not just that he keeps getting drawn in by work, but yet, like, his own personal motivations and, you know, concerns about who he is and what his, like, closest friends and family mean to him are all so complicated. And characters that are, like, introduced that seem to be, like, a one-note joke really get fleshed out and stick around, and... I think it's also great that it doesn't really create a distinction between your funny characters and your not funny ones. Like, everyone has a reason to be funny. They're all real humans, but they're all in ridiculous situations and the comedy comes from that. It's not just like Barry shot a guy and he fell over on a silly thing and you laugh because the, the the actual physical comedy of it. No, it's like much more than sitcom usually um implies it's very very situational comedy um and yeah just because last season is over now like i said it's I, I thought it was great i feel like the characters all reached um not predictable but like understandable conclusions and that yeah again i'm, I'm happy that it's over before it had that chance to turn into a slog because there's so many shows that Start strong, lose their way, meander, and then you're just crossing your fingers that they'll right course before they wrap up. And I feel like the show never had that problem, that it's very tight.
1: Because, like you said, it had a – I mean, props to – and we should say I assume a lot of – Bill Hader had like a real – not exactly vision because it does seem like he changed his mind about certain things as the show went on. But he was just like – mostly what he changed his mind, what he was committed to is like we can't over – like th- even though the show famously by the way and I should say I'm, the final season it's I've been trying to watch it, it stresses me out it's not a bad season but it stresses oh, me out so no, much it's, that like every episode I have to take like a two week break after watching it before It's much more unpleasant
0: time. than the previous stuff cuz things are not ending well for a lot of people.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally it's you know it's all the chickens coming home to roost and it turns out when you focus on the actual consequences of all of that violence it's highly unpleasant. Um and the psychological makeup of, like, um, well, a couple. So I'm just. You mind if I just follow up with you about things <laughs> I like about Barry? So yeah. So I think uh, I don't think it's a betrayal or even a subversion, but I think the thing that Barry does really well is that in mo, like you said, in most shows, a a hitman thinking that he can walk away and become an actor, it would be like that's funny, but what Barry explores is what would actually have to be like, what specific things would have to be wrong in this guy's head for him to think that that would ever work. Like mm-hmm. what very real psychological underlying mechanism would have to be broken in him? Like yeah. just how good is he at, like the show is very much about like how people compartmentalize violence and then how that compartmentalization eventually like just doesn't work for pe- for, for you anymore. Yeah. Um, it, like, it just, it, whatever walls you, you set up between who you are as a person and the awful shit that you do just are not sustainable. And so in, in a real way, what you, what you really, you start off thinking, oh, this guy's a funny actor. And then as you slowly watch the show, you're like, oh, I'm watching someone spiral through it. It's like a slow, inevitable mental breakdown is what I'm actually watching. And it's, which is not to say that it's not funny, but also that yes, it's very, uh, It's very tense and real in that way.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, and I think, like, something I really like is, like, from the get-go, you know, like you were just saying, like, not only is, like, Barry trying his best, you know, along with other people to, like, compartmentalize their bad shit, but that the show and the characters never really try to dance around the idea that, oh, no, Barry, you're kind of fucked up. Yeah, no, like,
1: one of the great early... I think it's in the first season or very early in the second season. No, it's in the first season. It's, like, I think the first real hint of this that showed that the show was going to be uh, better than people were expecting is is Gene Cusineau is who's another amazing character played by Henry Winkler is like, okay, tell me a memory that you really Mm -hmm, think mm -hmm. is formative to you that you, that we could maybe act out. And that'll be like your scene that you perform on stage, uh, really tap into your emotions and give me something genuine and authentic. And Barry is like, well, I'm going to tell you the time that I, that I, uh, in when I was a soldier in Afghanistan and I, I, in a fit of rage, I murdered a civilian. And he tells the whole story, and Gene Cusineau is like, okay, so I get why you thought that was an authentic experience. You can never share that story with anyone ever again. That is the single most fucked up thing I've ever heard anyone tell me, and you need to bottle that shit up and make up something else instead.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I was going to find an excuse to bring up that exact scene, because, yeah, it's... well, And, and so Gene Cusineau, like is one of your kind of like classically... Not necessarily successful, but nonetheless very conceited acting teachers. And he is, you know, as much as adorable little Henry Linclair can be, he's he's fairly abusive. And so, yeah, when he brings Barry up, he's like, you're going to give me raw emotion. You're not going to give me bullshit. You're going to be like everyone else in this class. And you're going to drop on that trauma. And you are going to inform this with your trauma. And then he tells that story. yeah, And like you just said, everyone's like, that is not the kind of trauma we expected. <laughs> That's not the kind of trauma that has ever been discussed in this class before. <laughs> this is didn't didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> yeah, and it's great; they're all genuinely horrified. And this is not even to say. Um, and Kyle, I think you can speak to this as a person who continues to live in L.A. Uh, how I think it really does a pretty good job of you know not completely realistically but more realistically than most um yeah, or even portraying like, the just the industry
1: <laughs> yeah unrealistic in a way that is that is truer to life than than like life re- like it takes some liberties but usually those liberties are for the point of like like famously one character like has a gig that doesn't work out in a comically short amount of time. Like things go bad faster than they could conceivably really go bad for like someone to have an opportunity and have it taken away from him. But it it feels so much like the actual stories that you hear people go to or just like, you know, what the power dynamics, like one character treats another character like garbage when they have a little bit of power over them. And then they're so upset when the other character like doesn't, yeah, it's just all of the all of the social dynamics and the way in which, like, characters are basically super deferential to each other depending on, like, who is at the moment the most successful in terms of the industry. And, mm-hmm. like, how whoever is currently experiencing success just, like, immediately becomes a huge blind narcissist uh, who self-justifies everything in terms of what they're commit. Yeah, it's all very real. Yeah. It who also feels very real.
0: Who will also, even though they are probably the beneficiary of chance are then treated as if they have secret wisdom that they need to pass to everybody else. Yes. Not, not that on that casting call day they had the correct jawline, but that they have the spirit flowing through them.
1: Yeah, although I do lo- like, I think my favorite joke joke in the whole series is, I can't even, re- it's like, you got that line, that line's the name of the movie. They're not going to cut that. <laughs> You're the guy who says the line that's the name of the movie. That's a guaranteed credit.
0: Man, acting and Hollywood and all that. Ugh. Sorry. It's just... I miss, I miss how stupid all of it is as, uh, as much as I was never actually involved in it. Just even being on the periphery and being like, this is a ridiculous mess. But anyway. So yeah, Barry, it's good. And then... Uh, also, Kyle and I were talking before the podcast. I feel weird that we talked about the video games before and then got away from it, but I 'm also playing it's Zelda, fine. and it 's fine.
1: episode yeah, not every episode has to be about video games, just ninety percent of them
0: I'm playing Zelda and it 's fine it's I think James Stephanie Sterling gave it and Breath of the Wild seven out of ten, and while i wouldn't give either of them seven out of ten, i don 't think people should cut her head off because she gave it seven out of 10 either I think it's a very reasonable score so uh, Kyle anything else
1: nope I think I'm good
0: well I think we'll be wrapping up but just remember that um, no matter how successful you' become you can't you cannot run your past you little coward thanks for listening to the show just remember your your skeletons may be in the closet and you think you can move homes but the ghosts. They'll, they'll follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go!